Good morning, church family. Man, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, isn't it a beautiful day out today? Oh, the sun is shining and the hills are green. I love this time of year. And um, we get to be in God's Word together. If you would turn your Bible open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've been in a series, if you're just joining us, in this really wonderful book. And now we find ourselves at the end of chapter 4, starting in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. And then we'll go to the end of the chapter this morning. And I'm here to tell you we've got better news in store than what you're experiencing even right now. So read God's word with me. This is the Lord speaking to us, refreshing us. Hopefully it brings you great encouragement as you hear these words. That's the point of the words. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's a euphemism he's using for those who have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen with that? It's a good word. So they just didn't know what to make of it, these new believers in the church of Thessalonica. So think about what their experience was. They had only been believers for a set of months. They'd experienced persecution and struggle. And they had seen some of their friends, perhaps family members, die. And they weren't sure about what was going to happen next. Now, these people who had died before, are they going to be rescued by the Lord? Um, they had an image in their mind of eternal life, but they didn't really know what that meant or looked like. And what about them in the middle of their struggle? They had heard word that Jesus was going to come back, but they didn't know how it looked. And so they were hoping for a word from God. And in this letter that Paul and Silas and Timothy write to them, they're addressing this major question. This question they were asking, what is God's plan for the future? You ever wondered about that? What is the Lord God's plan? If he's a sovereign God and he has everything under control, what is his plan for our future? Their circumstances and their questions that they're asking, I think it's really significant for us because we all want to know what what is God's plan for those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? And how is our hope different, uniquely different than others? So these are the things that are explained to us in the text as they write. And for you to get a good handle on this, I want you to take a step back and think about the arc of the New Testament first. And for those of you 
who are not students of it, don't sweat. Let me just fill you in with a couple major highlights. Because there are three things that God does that powerfully impact all of history in the New Testament. And they are all wrapped around his presence with us, his coming to us. So think about it this way. Some of you might have heard the word Advent, right? Often when you hear that word, you think about Christmas time, the first Advent. And in the New Testament, the first Advent refers specifically to the birth of Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So the big picture is, yes, it's about his birth. We celebrate that God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. And his advent meant that God, even though I did not deserve it in any way, shape, or form, loved me so much that he would come. And he would come to address my brokenness, my sin and separation from him, my shame, my guilt, all of it, by offering his son. So his son, our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, came in human form in the flesh. And he lived with us a perfect life. And then he intentionally went through with the horrible events in the cross to sacrifice himself for you, for your brokenness, for me, for my brokenness and sin and shame. So I, if I trusted him, would have forgiveness and wholeness, restoration and new life. And he would do that for every person, even the most vile, the most wicked and evil person. He would do that for me. He would do it for you. So the first Advent, we celebrate this, is such a great event. But there's a second Advent you might not have thought about, about the presence of God coming. Jesus himself refers to it, and he points his disciple that direction in John chapter 16, when he says, if I leave, I am going to leave a helper with you. The Holy Spirit, God and his presence fully with you. So you will not be alone. And then when Acts chapter 2 occurs, we see that the Holy Spirit comes for every believer. So that if you have trusted Christ, the guarantee that God is with you and has a future for you is his present Holy Spirit with you. And yes, you can do all kinds of things in your life to separate and to struggle and against God. But if you are a child of his, you're his, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and his spirit resides in you. You don't have to question that or be insecure with that. God's spirit resides in you. His presence does, and his power. Because that's what he was doing when he came. He was promised his Holy Spirit was sent to us And it was an active demonstration of his presence and power in the life of every believer. So yeah, sometimes it feels fuzzy. Like, is God really present here? Is he inside of me? And throughout the week, you might be doing something at work and feeling like, oh, I feel like I'm a long ways away from experiencing God. Perhaps that's because you have unconfessed sin, right? You've harbored stuff in your life that you just need to get right before God. 
praise God. He says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful, he's just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. All you need to do is come, right, believer? You know this, don't you? So if you're hungering for the presence of God in your life, he's just that available. Get right with him. But God is present. We don't have to wonder this morning, is God going to show up? You know why? Because there's believers in the room. People came and he's present with us. God is thick in this room, in this moment, because he is present with you. He hasn't left you. He will not forsake you, even though at times we forsake him. Amen to that? That's such great news for us. Now that's what is the second advent, though some of you might think, well, I always thought it was only just two, right? You know, I always just thought it was when Jesus came first time and when he's coming a second time. And that's where I'm going to kind of stretch your thinking a little bit because God is present with us. And the third advent is what is being spoken of here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That third advent is Jesus' glorious coming again to make all things new. And that's the advent that answers some of the questions that we might have been harboring. God, what really is in my future? What's your plan for me? And why do I have hope? And that specific notion of hope is addressed in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, speaking of those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope who have no real, true hope in their lives. He's saying, we grieve with hope. I have a confession this morning. Um, So I've been in ministry for a while. And for many years in my life, I kind of separated myself emotionally from that. Some of you are in like doctors or nurses, and you know that you step in situations with families a lot. And you see a lot of grieving going on, and so you kind of try to protect your heart so you're not like an emotional basket case all the time. And I felt like, you know, as a pastor, that's probably what I should do. I should probably like put a professional hat on and like act like I'm empathetic, of course, because you have to as a pastor, whatever. Um, But I would always like create an emotional space so I wasn't fully entering in. And a couple of years ago, the Lord really um, convicted me, like, Ron, that's so wrong. It's, it's wrong. Because it's okay, it's actually important for you to grieve. So Ecclesiastes tells us that we are to mourn, right? There is a time to mourn. And the Lord Jesus, when he stepped into those events in John chapter 11, you remember, His dear friend Lazarus dies, and he goes to the tomb. Now, Jesus, think about the perspective. He's the creator. He knows what's in the future. He knows just just in a matter of minutes later, he's going to raise a Lazarus there. But Jesus goes to the tomb, and what does he do? He just weeps openly. He grieves. He enters into the pain and the hurt and the brokenness of the people that he loves around him and the effects of death and separation and loss, and he just weeps. In fact, he teaches us in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 that blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they will be comforted. 
they will experience the power of the Holy Spirit in more powerful ways. So I was just admonished, I think, by the Lord. Ron, we are called as believers to grieve, and that's right and healthy and good for us. All of us have experienced loss in our lives, and the grieving is an important process of recovery and us understanding that the Lord has us and will walk through grief with us. That's really important for us and important to know and to open our hearts up to that. But we do not grieve as others who have no hope, Scripture says, because we have a real and trustworthy source of our hope. And it is that God has come and he's lived and he's died for us and he's given us a hope for the future. I don't want you to be uninformed, Paul and Silas, Timothy, right? About those who have died, for the Thessalonians, those who have died before you, because God has them and you can be confident in that. And that we don't have to grieve as those people who don't have hope because we are a people of hope. For, verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Now it's true for those people who are placed their faith in Christ to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord right there. In your spirit, you're present with the Lord. But God is going to do this other work, amazing work in our future that we have to look forward to and those who have died have to look forward to. So here is the life-giving truth that this verse is teaching in verse 14, that Jesus' victory models God's plan for those who have died. Our hope rests in the ground of Jesus' death and resurrection, that he has already been raised for us that we might be a people of hope. But First Peter 1, verses 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Those people who have placed their faith in him, our spirits are alive now. They're no longer dead. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You don't experience it right now, but you will one day. It's in heaven waiting for you. The resurrection is your future, and that's a basis of solid hope for you. Physical death that you'll experience, it's not final. So it's right for us to mourn. But we do not mourn men and women without hope. We have confidence, rock-solid confidence, based on what God has done for us, that we have hope. When I first started um, in ministry, I just thought about working with kids, right? I love student ministry, and I was a young punk at the time, and I, um, I never thought that I would go to, like, a funeral. I went to one funeral or maybe a couple of family members, my grandparents, but I didn't think that I'd be stepping into, you know, funerals on a regular basis, and, um, but that's been the calling in my life. I've stepped into quite a few of them now, and um, I, probably like you, I've discovered something when people are gathered for memorial services or funerals, gravesides. There's a group of people 
Some people are unique because they have something that's grounding them, uh, a hope, a confidence, and a clarity about what's in our future. And there's often a lot of people at those services that believe in pink unicorns, right? They're just making it up as they go because they need something to believe in, and they're, they're scared. They don't really have a solid confidence or hope, and so they just say, yeah, well, everyone's going to heaven, or they make up their own theology. It's not based on anything real or true, but they're making it up as they go. That's not what we're talking about here, right? That's not what Scripture tells us to place our confidence in. It tells us to place our confidence in the reality that God has loved us, that he's made that demonstration in such a clear way by coming and then dying and rising again for us that we could have sure faith in this, resting on his resurrection, that we have confidence. We don't have to guess when we're entering into those places where we're thinking about what's in the future. 4, verse 15, we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. I don't know what that's going to feel like or look like or sound like. It's going to be pretty glorious. That's all I know, right? And there could be, as you read those words, right, there's a ton of questions that are spinning around in your brain, right? You're thinking about, I want to know exactly what that looks like and when is that exactly going to happen? And you have all these things that are spinning around there. And God is giving us all the information that we need. He's giving the Thessalonian believers all the information they needed to operate in faith and follow him by by saying this word to them, this is going to be amazing, right? He's giving them a picture. How in the world will that one cry of the Lord echo throughout all the earth? Don't know. What kind of trumpet is he going to use? I played the trumpet when I was little growing up. It was pretty bad. I I put my parents through a lot of pain and agony, I'm sure. I never was great at the trumpet. This trumpet is going to be something different. I know it's going to be something different. But God is going to announce himself. He's going to come, and then the dead in Christ, it says, will rise first. Those who have already died get first in line. I was recently with um, a dear friend of mine. A week and a half ago, I was having a conversation with my friend Norm Bailey. And um, those of you, some of you know, last Sunday morning, Norm went to be with Jesus. And about a week and a half, just a couple days before I was, um, I was talking with him, we had this great relationship. We would tease each other. You know, he was a great kidder, and his love language was sarcasm, which I loved. And so we were, you know, we'd go back and forth. And I said, you know what? I think it's a ripoff. I just read this text to him. It's kind of a ripoff because you're going to go first. If Jesus comes back before I die, like you get first in line. What's with that? You know? And he smiled, you know, we were talking about the hope that we have in our future. He was confident in the Lord. And the great comforting experience that we know is those believers that we have loved and been close to, family members, they get to go first. 
because they've already walked through and been faithful to what God had for them. And so God is going to give them this great gift. They go first, we're said. The words here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 16 teach us that Jesus is coming back for his own. And it's a promise, it says, based on the words of the Lord, that we know in part from Matthew chapter 24. We find more of those details in the book of Revelation. But there is a point here for us, not to fear death as if it's final. Those who are dead in Christ, they go to the front of the line, they're honored in this way, and we can have confidence in this. And I believe that when this word came to those Thessalonian believers, it was like just a Oh, just a great relief to them that they knew that God had this order, this plan for those people that they loved. And then, verse 17, here's even better news. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, this is describing what is commonly known by Christians as the rapture. That specific word, rapture, is not part of the original language in the text, but it comes out of the Latin translation in the Vulgate. Right? So that was the first point, but it's speaking of the catching up or the rapture. And when we, heard, when we hear that word, some of us who have a different kind of theological history, we think of, Okay, that's where, um, right, the Christians go first, and then other people are going through a tribulation, and you get through these, all, all these other ideas. Step back from that kind of thinking for a second, and just think about exactly what it's being said in this text. It's saying that there is a plan for you and for me, and God is going to return, and it's going to be glorious And he's not going to forget you. You, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you will not be left. Don't worry about that. Now, many years ago when I was in college, we had this class um, together. And uh, we thought it would be a brilliant idea. We got on this text. And I had a professor who believed in a little different position um, about the tribulation. So we all came and we we brought clothes and we put them in our desks. And I had our books out on the desk, and then we all left. So when he walked in, he found us in our clothes, like the rapture had already happened. All right. But, okay, so that, you don't have to worry about that. When if you walk into church, you just see clothes around, someone's pulling a joke on you. Because if you place your faith in Jesus, have confidence that he's going to take you. Because Scripture teaches us that clearly, that we will be taken up with him. And for all of us this morning who have experienced the forgiveness of God, we can trust in that great promise. We can trust in that. Our church has a statement of faith, which I love. It's got, if you want to take a look at it, you can look online at our statement of faith. It makes some profound, rich statements about what Scripture says, um, about who we are, about who God is, about God's plan for us, about who Christ is, and and how we become saved by grace through faith and faith alone, in Christ alone. And that statement um, we've been working through, and um, this summer I believe I'll take a, a little bit of twist on part of how we say it. But I wanted just to read it to you so you understand our statement of faith. It's going to say this. 
We believe in the personal bodily. That's what's talked about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He's going to take people up and bodily resurrect them and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. Now, in um, the wording, they're replacing a word, the premillennial, with glorious. And there's a set of reasons to try to be more inclusive to us that it's not a hill to die on. But um, my particular position is that as I look at the Bible, I take Revelation chapter 20, literally, and I believe that there is a thousand-year reign of Christ. So that puts me in a premillennial camp. What I know for sure, whether we can have all kinds of arguments and discussion about eschatology, about the end times, here's what I know for sure. It's going to be glorious. Without doubt, it will blow out my expectations of who God is and what my future is like. I know that. We know that for sure. And we can say that with rock-solid confidence. Scripture's very clear about that, that we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And here's the point. Did you catch it? So we will always be with the Lord. Into eternity, I'm not going to be thinking about the timeline. That's not going to be on my mind at all. I'm going to be thinking about eternity with the Lord, right? That I'm going to have this relationship with him forever. And he's not going to leave me. I'm not going to leave him. I'm going to know this in all its richness and its fullness. How cool is that? That I can have that knowledge, right? And that forever, God's not going to leave Andrew's side for eternity. That's amazing. So when is he coming back, if you ask? All I know is what Scripture says, that we need to be ready for it. Right? We need to be in expectation. And we who are alive and left, we caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Like, so we live in this time where we, have, we don't talk a whole lot about the end times. But when I was growing up, we had at our church, we had this prophecy conference like every year. And it packed the house. Like, people wanted to know. Part of that, because we were living in the Cold War, right? We thought nuclear exchange could happen any minute. And we wanted to know, like, right away we had this hunger. I think we've lost something in the church not to have this expectation that Jesus can come back any moment. Because it does something to my soul. First, if I know that God can come back any moment... It drives my own behavior, right? I want to be holy and ready before him for him to come. I don't want him to catch me doing something stupid. I want to be ready for his return. And I want to be driven, as our statement of faith says, with this energetic mission to pursue him fully and wholly. Matthew 24, listen to these words for those of you who said, yeah, Ron, but I want the timeline. I want to know exactly how it looks. Verse 35 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. People were not expecting it. They were just doing their own thing and blowing God off. Wow, does that sound like today? Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is coming back for us, and that should encourage us and inspire us. So how do we get ready? I was, uh, during, in between services, I was across the way, and my dear friend Arthur Marr was uh, sipping a cup of coffee, and he turns to me, and uh, he says, oh, Ron, I wanted you to know I'm applying the sermon already. I said, really? And that's great, you know, and he um, goes, yeah, I'm, I'm having coffee. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to stay awake. <laughs> okay, yeah, he was just teasing me, but there's a greater application here to the text, okay, than that. First, it's about our holy living, right? That we ought to be ready. Text says in Matthew 24, man, be prepared because he can come at any moment. So live your life in reflection of that, not in fear or in shame or like with excessive guilt, right? Now, don't do that, but be ready and pursue holiness. So when your Lord Jesus comes back for you, he sees you being faithful. What does that look like this week? It looks like when you go to work, be a person of integrity. When you go to school, don't be afraid of naming the name of Jesus. When you have conversations with your neighbor, and be a person, as our statement of faith says, of energetic mission. Like, let's grab hold of the mission. Let's build and bridge relationships so that people can join with us in this life adventure of following Jesus together. So we have this board over here, this life board, and many of you know that we put cups in when we see people come to Jesus, and we get to put four more cups in. And um, praise God, we had four people the last couple of weeks come to know Jesus. So I want to just put the, go ahead and put the cups in. That's great. And um, can we praise God for that? Yeah. This is... This is about, just, this wasn't a programmed event, right? This is just people, our body, sharing their faith with their friends and seeing people come to faith in Christ. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. And we want to see more of it because that's part of how God continues us being faithful to him. Billy Graham once said of this event in our future, the second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. Man will live as if it was originally intended that he should live in intimacy with God. This is why we are to long for it. This is why 
we are to be men and women who join the Apostle Paul when he writes in the book of Revelation, oh, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. And if you don't come before I drive home this afternoon, help me be found in you faithful and living out your mission for me. Let me pray for you. So, Lord, we are so deeply grateful you have a rock-solid plan for us, a plan that ignites our imagination, inspires us to live for you. And we hunger for it, Lord. We hunger for you to come. Thank you for giving us assurance for our future that our eternity will be with you for those of us who have trusted you. Let me speak for a moment for those of you who might have come this morning who have not yet taken a step to find forgiveness in Christ. It's not complicated. You do not have to earn your salvation or earn this great treasure God has for you. You simply need to turn to God and ask for forgiveness of sins and trust him for that forgiveness and seek to get right with him. The Bible calls it repentance. I'm driving one way and I do a 180 and I trust in him. And you can do that right now in this moment. You can simply pray out to him, oh Lord, I want to trust you for my future. I need forgiveness, Lord. Would you cleanse me and forgive me of my sin? I want to trust in what Jesus has done. I want to give my life to you. Scripture says at that moment, you've become new. And your future is totally changed. And for those of us who are believers, let me encourage you strongly to live in constant expectation and with a desire for him to come back for you and even to pray it out each day this week. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Would you just say it right now to the Lord? Oh, Lord, come. And all God's people said, Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.